0: So Nick, do you have any ongoing photographic projects?
1: Yeah, I've got a lot of stuff going on right now and it's it's all kind of jumbled together cuz I'm really too busy to put in long stretches of time. So I've been uh but I've what I've been doing most of lately is repairing, getting into camera repair more and more uh more and more daringly. So
0: did, hey, f- did uh, you know I picked up last summer. Uh, uh last summer I was going to spend the summer uh repairing cameras. And I picked up a book uh, um, uh, and I can't, I'll put it in the show notes, but um, it was a book about camera repair. Have you read any of those or are you just kind of going in? No, oh, yeah, I have,
1: I have a couple of that classic, the one that you're trying to remember the name of, and I can
0: almost see it. It's a hardcover, mine, or at least mine. Oh, a
1: hard no, these are soft course. I think it's Thomas Thomasy. He, he's written a big series of books and they drive people crazy because they're like, they're like these big compendiums of handy hints, but they never give you the complete rundown on any one camera. They just jump around. Oh, and yeah, So, yeah. but basically what turns out is the more you get into working on cameras, then the more useful they get. And he does cover tools and, and, you know, goops and cleaning, cleaning solvents and that kind of thing. So it gives the kind of basic approach. And then you're kind of on your own until you start to have some knowledge. So the best thing is to find cameras that you don't mind if you screw up because it's really easy to destroy a camera by trying to fix it. And yes. so I've been getting these uh, cheap broken cameras and then trying to fix them. And that way I don't have my, I don't stand to lose much. Right. Uh, it's, right. it's helping. I'm learning a lot. It's, uh, it's don't really
0: start with a 75 anniversary. Leica m M six is what yeah. you're trying to say. All I'm right. never going to look inside one of those. ever. <laughs> <laughs> Not even if invited. So, okay. So, sorry about that. I interrupted you about your projects.
1: Okay. So, um, the first thing that really encouraged me was I, I bought an old uh, graphics Optar 65 millimeter lens. And it came with, uh, you know, I got an inexpensive auction deal and it came with a very sluggish shutter. It wouldn't even fire on the slow speeds and time and bulb didn't work. And so, I just, you know, took the lens apart till I could see the shutter without actually taking the mechanism apart, but I could see the different uh, escapements and little clockwork devices. And I just went in with, um, actually I used an old uh, ink pen from the drafting days where you used to be able to adjust the width of the line and it would just hold a couple drops of ink. I, you know, it's from my grandfather's drawing kit. And that thing turns out to be perfect for taking a small amount of lighter fluid or naphtha and just a little drop of it and applying it where you want. So you, the idea is that you just put it on the areas that are probably gunked up with old, you know, grease, which gets stiff over time and slows down the shutter. And you just put a little of this naphtha on there. It dissolves the grease and then it evaporates completely, which is the crucial yes. part of the equation. Yeah. Because you don't want it to, uh, uh, you know, dribble around and end up in on glass or somewhere or on a shutter uh, leaves right. or anything like that. So this is pretty much the the right approach. And instead of actually taking it all the way apart and bathing it, I just tried dribbling a little on and then mopping it back off. And I did that for, I don't know. I probably fiddled around with a thing for 45 minutes at least just tease, just patiently dribbling a little in, wiping it off, working the shutter. And yeah. after doing that, uh, I put it all back together and it's like, great. The speeds are sped right up. They're, plenty accurate now everything works it was just such a simple straightforward process i was very encouraged
0: i had a similar uh similar experience with um i once again i love the little small pocket rangefinders from the uh, 60s through the 80s i absolutely love those and um there's there's one that's cosina made and it sold uh three different brands uh the one i got was the um Minolta Hymatic 7S2, uh, it's also sold as a Konica Auto S3 and a Vivitar 35ES. Hey, I think I, I think I mentioned all three of those. And, um, I got a couple of those that where, um, it would say, um, the light meter is not working, uh, blah, blah, blah. The, um, shutter is, or, I don't think I ever went with anything that this was a shutter issue. But I was able to open up each one of those. Each one of those came with a very sluggish shutter. And, um, just using nap, naphtha, I didn't even actually open it up. I just put it on the blades, um, uh, and worked it and, and worked it and worked it. And I was able to free, uh, two of those. And I now use them. Um, unfortunately my, my success in, um, fixing their light meters was nowhere near as high. (laughs) Yeah. That's almost
1: impossible if it's an old selenium meter that when they're dead, they're dead. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can adjust them or, or make an allowance for them, but at a certain point it gets hopeless.
0: Yeah. These are, um, these are electronic, um, Uh, light meters and they're, uh, and they have an auto setting or they have an aperture priority setting. So, uh, so I just shoot them sunny 16. I have one in my car right now that, you know, you don't want to really leave a camera in your car, but if it's a camera that, you know, is, uh, has moderate value, uh, and it's small and it's easy to use and uh, it's not really pawnable um, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to, to leave in your car. So, uh, so that's one of the things that I use. What about creative, uh, projects? Um, uh, are you photographing any series, anything like that?
1: I've been, uh, I'm been lately, I've been doing a lot of testing because I have, uh, new configurations. Um, the one that's most interesting is I found a 50 millimeter Mamiya press lens and I've, set that up to work on the Mercury, uh, 3d printed plastic camera body. And it's a great lens. I'm really excited about it. And that's, it's, it's created kind of a different camera for me. So it's a wide, it's a very wide angle lens, um, it, which will cover a six by nine or six by seven roll film. And that means that it has a lot of depth of field and it's kind of a short, compact lens. And I've got a, A viewfinder that works with it uh, really well. And it it turned, it sort of created something I didn't have before, which is a easy to carry quick to shoot handheld, very wide angle, big film camera. So it's something you could actually use for street photography. What are you using for a
0: viewfinder on that?
1: So I've, I, I spent a lot of time and basically wanted a good quality viewfinder, but I didn't want to spend more than I had to. And what I found for it was interesting. It's a Ricoh viewfinder for a modern digital camera. It's a little plastic viewfinder, and it has frame lines for both twenty-one millimeters and twenty-eight millimeters. Ah, okay. And at and that's the one thirty-five equivalent, which is interesting because that camera has a small APS-C sensor. The Ricoh. Sure. GR, it's for the GR, and that I got a used one for a reasonable price, and. It's a really handy viewfinder. I think it's going to take care of almost all my wide angle needs. Most, most of those viewfinders stop at 28 and this goes a lot wider and it, because it has two frame lines, you can kind of easily estimate anything. So it'll work for 24, you know, it'll work for 20. It'll work for all kinds of, uh, you know, the general run of the wide stuff you'll find. Um, and it just hits Nicole Chu and I think it's great.
0: So, uh, what do you think, um, uh, shall we start the, um, homemade camera podcast?
1: Yeah. Oh, so what, you know, what? How would you sum up the, the uses of shutter versus aperture to control exposure?
0: Okay, yeah. So so here's the deal is that they're both limiting light in some way or maximizing light in some way, but they're, they're both about the control of how much light goes into uh, or onto the sensor or onto the film. Um, the shutter controls how long the light is available uh, to the film or the sensor, so One sixtieth of a second, um, one thirtieth of a second, whatever. Um, so that is, um, the shutter's job. It's to open for a period of time. The aperture controls, I, this is a little bit difficult to, because I don't really have the words for it, but it controls the intensity of light. Or if you think about it in terms of, uh, like a flowing river, it can, it controls how, much light flows through is allowed to flow through in a given amount of time. So yeah, that, that that sounds,
1: that's a really good description. Yeah.
0: So another way of saying that is the shutter is the duration of the exposure. The aperture is the rate at which the light enters the body of the camera. So, Mm -hmm. so, okay. So we have those two. Do you, do we need both of those? Well, I mean, technically
1: speaking, you don't need both. Um but in in the, in the real world, you need at least one aperture that you know is is built in uh,
0: or or a, new, a known opening is the kind of thing that you're right. You're so
1: even if the lens is wide open, that has uh, technically that has an f number, it's an aperture based on the design of the lens and <clears throat> and so if you have just one aperture, you can get away with just one shutter speed as well. The most simple cameras have those. Um, so, in you know, in essence, you always have both. But when you get to talking about controlling them, uh, as long as one is uh, controllable, that can cover most of your needs. Um, it's much more desirable to have both controllable. And we'll get to that. But, you know, imagine a lens that has, say, it has an f16 permanent aperture. As long as you have a choice, several choices of shutter speeds, you can still adjust to meet the amount of light that you're dealing with <clears throat> uh, When you make photographs so and by the same token if you have a single shutter speed um, Camera you can also adjust and can adjust aperture. You'll also be able to accommodate a range of exposures So you want one you can get away without any adjustment, but that really limits your uh, choices
0: Right, right. You know, uh, one of our, our listeners, um, slash contributors to our Flickr group and the forums on the Flickr group, he goes by flavor D. Uh, he, what, one of the things that he experimented with was taking a lens that was from a projection TV. Remember those old, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the only thing that we used to have, uh, for widescreen TV or not widescreen, but, uh, large screen TVs were those projectors. Well, he took one of those lenses and, um, he put it on, he coupled it to a Nikon SLR. Um, now that gave him, he measured out what the aperture was. Um, and he, um, uh, and it had an aperture of, of F 1.4, uh, but he had no way of controlling that aperture. So he couldn't make it smaller. And I'm going to guess that F 1.4 had more to do with the opening on that Nikon mount than it had anything to do with that lens. Right. You know, Um, but you know, because um, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big wide open and uh, most, most SLRs, you know, they can go to 1.2 but usually you won't find a lens that's, you know, that has a wider open opening than that. So that may be the limiting factor, but, uh, but he had no way of controlling the aperture. So he shot in dim light. Uh, but he said, you know, he's shooting at twilight and he was saying that he was getting, you know, speeds of one 500th, you know, uh, stuff in that range. Um, you know, just walking around it at, you know, at dusk essentially. And, um, uh, and he was, you know, controlling it all with that shutter speed. And that reminds
1: me, I wanted to mention at one point that, uh, there is a, there is a workaround. If you have a camera that only has one aperture and only has one shutter speed, uh, there is another way to control light, which is variable contrast or, um, neutral density, neutral density yeah. filters. So there are, there are neutral density filters that you can just swap that will limit the, a light by a set amount that's coming through the lens, and there I think there are some that are controllable as well. I don't really I, know much.
0: About I have it, one right? of those. I I bought one of those for my Mamaya M six four five that I then sold, so I don't have that. But I did keep that um, uh, adjustable uh, neutral density filter. The problem with that is um, that. It is dependent upon, it's designed for modern DSLRs. And so as you make the adjustment, your exposure is going to change through that, uh, you know, uh, in a through the lens light meter. Um, So, I I mean, it has notches, but you would have to really know, or not notches. Let me say it has, it has dots around it and it has an indexing slash and you would really have to mark each one and and do some some pretty heavy testing. It it is essentially it's a they advertise it as a 1 through 5 or no, excuse me, a 1 through 10 stop neutral density. So, um here's here's what I'm going to so say. The if problem
1: is that you can, you can't meter, you need two of them, one for your light meter and one for your camera, is that? right? Possibly? Exactly.
0: Right. <laughs> or or you have gone through and you've really figured out uh, and tested that this hash mark, uh, this little notch, this little indexing thing is, uh, you know, three stops. Um, right. and, uh, so, I mean, you, you know, you can certainly do that. So what, what I'm, you know, so if you're going to experiment with it, get a set, it'll be a, a, a you know, of, a of fixed ones, um, and then you know, simpler to work, with. simpler yeah. to work with. And they're, and they're, and they've already gone through the testing. So everybody knows what they are. So that's, that's good. Um, now one of the things that, you know, we talked about, um, how, um, you know, it's advantageous to control both. but, you know, unless you're looking for like a really specific effect on your camera, You don't necessarily need to control both, Uh, but if you are really looking for an effect, okay, so you have, you know, something that has, you know, like this 1.4 F stop, you know, projector lens, um, that is, uh, you know, that will have a really, you know, you would think a relatively short depth of field and, it, and I don't think we talked about depth of field on that, but, um, if you, you know, if you want to see the pictures on this, I just, uh, back up a little bit. If you want to see the pictures, go to our, uh, Flickr group and it's the homemade camera podcast Flickr group. And in the, what are you building thread? Um, this, uh, this one pops up just a little bit. And you can also go to his Flickr stream and his name is, uh, uh, on the, His Flickr name is flavor-d. It's worth
1: looking at that. And the other thing that what that brings up basically what you're saying is if you need to control depth of field, then you need aperture control. Right. And and that becomes the more important thing. And, and on the other hand, if you want to freeze action, then you need a shutter speed control that will, you know, that will go fast. Or conversely, if you want to blur movement, you need a slow shutter speed. So.
0: Sure. Absolutely, and one of the things uh, one of the things that we noted on um, on this one build by our listener is that it it's really a very, very soft lens. Um, it's uh, there's and what that comes from is that there's light bouncing around in a lot of directions and it could be within the lens, or it could be that that doesn't that lens, because it's a projector lens, doesn't oh, right. focus right. light in the same way coming the other direction it's not optimized for light coming in so it's not really lining all that light up
1: since since it wasn't meant to work with a sensor they don't care if there's reflections inside it it's possible that you could take that lens apart and you know paint the inside of it matte black and get it to perform better
0: he said he said he had um some black velvet in there so um Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, but all
1: it takes is one shiny place and the light's coming in another direction, which wasn't anticipated. And so, yeah.
0: The thing that I'm thinking is that probably um, the lenses are not coated, you know, within themselves. You know, you you have the coating on the end of the lens and you have a coating on the other end of the lens. Well, there's also coatings used in between lenses to keep that light from bouncing too much right uh so that could be so uh you know here i'll i'll ask you this um aperture shutter is one more important than the other
1: well i i think it just depends if if you're really trying to stop motion obviously the shutter is more important and i think aperture's matter if you're worried about depth of field there's also more limitations there. So there's only a certain range of apertures that a lens can accommodate. Um, the the, su- the design of the lens limits the widest it can be. And the smallest it can be is limited by, uh, basically by the size of the film. The bigger the film is, the smaller the aperture can be without um, causing other problems that we'll get to later called diffraction. So uh, you know, if you need a big range of control, it has to be shutter speed. So a good example of that is a pinhole camera where you you might need to go, you know, from hours and hours of exposure to less than a minute of exposure. That huge range needs to be accommodated. With a shutter, you wouldn't be able to... And of course, with a pinhole, there's a fixed aperture. There There's no control over that. But let's just say that uh aperture gives you a smaller range of control and shutter gives you a much bigger...
0: Uh, and- and one of the things, um, you know, just the basic concept is every exposure starts at a given time and ends at another given time. So, uh, but you you don't necessarily so you need to be able to control that, but you don't necessarily need to be able to control the uh, the aperture um, for that. So we'll so we'll go with. You know, right? Basically, without edge. a
1: shutter, it's it's not going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> right. we'll go with a slight edge to to shutter right. shutters on that. Yep. Um, so you know, there are also, of course, some exceptions. Um, solarography, um, which is the uh, which is essentially pinhole um, tracking of the sun's movements across the sky. And, um, the, and the idea with solarography is, uh, you, you, you take your, um, your box and you put in paper, uh, black and white photo paper, um, and then, and a pin, and you put a pinhole in that. And what it does is it, is it tracks the sun across that piece of paper. So it has to be at kind of an angle where it's looking up a little bit. It doesn't have to look up completely. Uh, You can still have the horizon at the bottom, but it needs to kind of look up in the sky and it will track the position of the sun. Um, And over months of these types of exposures, it will so overexpose the paper, even though paper has a really low ISO, it'll so overexpose the paper, it'll actually activate the silver without development so you can take that piece of paper and um, and just slap it on the scanner and scan uh, now I don't know how long I've not done this I, I did it as a kid but I've not done this in a very long time so I don't know no. how long the image remains fast on that piece of paper i guess i think what you're describing
1: almost sounds like the silver on the paper is tarnishing
0: yeah <laughs> well know? it could be but and and it will give you an image of what the scene is so um uh sure
1: because the amount of the rate at which the silver is oxidizing is changed by the amount of light that hits it sure uh, sure and and but you know when you mention this you're talking about a pinhole which which has to go so long that you get the sun's movement through the sky yeah there are often no- another of our months. listeners yeah. Just built a garbage cam build. He's like way ahead of the rest of us. I yeah. think with a lens instead of a pinhole that he used in it with, with a solarography technique. And he was able to get much shorter shutter speeds than you would get with a pinhole. And still, I think it was just straight solarography. I don't think he was even developing the paper. Um, and, but because he put a big magnifying glass instead of a pinhole, he got a really strong light. Focused on the paper and it, it, I guess it changed enough for a visible image in just what, a few hours?
0: Yeah. Um, he was, um, uh, I think, I think he did, I think part of the deal was, wasn't he doing it overnight? Now, for some reason, I thought the idea was that he was doing it overnight, but that may be just something that I'm bringing to it. And, um, once again, this is in the, what are you building, uh, discussion on our, our, um, uh. On our group. on our Flickr group, and I'm going to camp for just a little bit more time, and I'm going to bring up who actually did this. Um, well, we're and... talking about Jojonas. Yeah. By the way, that's I'm I I, find, I figured out it's Yojonas.
1: Oh, Yojonas, of course. And he's calling. I see. Says garbage cam sucks light, and he's basically figured out a way to Hoover up a lot more light than a pinhole can do. Right. <laughs> For that type of image and 12 hour exposure on one of them morning to noon. So that's okay. a daytime exposure and okay. it is solarization. So the, the, uh, and the, and these are shots that don't have the sun in the picture. They're, they're pretty strong and they have quite a bit of color in them. They're really interesting.
0: Yeah. I uh, asked him about the color and um, what he was saying was that, um, the, the color is a little bit, a, in addition in post-processing, um, uh, but they do come off with a color on the paper, even though it's black and white paper. And, and yeah, these are daytime pictures and they kind of remi- remind me a little bit of, uh, uh, uh Nipei, um, you know, the, uh, the pioneer, um, uh, his pictures out the garden window. Um, and, you know, where you just kind of see a wall, that type of thing. They're, they're very reminiscent of that, even though they, they are considerably sharper. Um, and you, you know, you can see plants, you can see buildings across the way and, and s- stuff like that. So, so yeah, that's, um, uh, you know, another way of working where, you, I mean, once again, the, the, the exposures begins and ends at a point. But it doesn't, uh, you know. But we're not controlling the aperture a whole lot on this. And I, and I believe yeah, this was a magnifying glass, right? Am I right yeah, about that? Yeah, Is He it
1: has. A, it looks like a. It looks like a like a cardboard paper towel tube. Yeah. A, a, a an ordinary looks like a box that held food. It's it's a very it's a pretty red box. And a magnifying glass stuck in there, and I guess he got the focal length right, and yeah. put a piece of fo- uh, print paper in the back. And, you know, with a 12 hour exposure, you, you could use, you know, the shutter is really putting the paper in, and taking it out. <laughs> Okay, so what, it, let's say I have a, a, a fairly new single lens reflex camera that has a fancy titanium vertical travel shutter. Would that be the ideal kind of shutter to have? or
0: It certainly is a good type of shutter. One of the things about that titanium is that titanium is light, so it can move very quickly. And it, um, that vertical travel curtain shutter, it is a curtain shutter, um is one of the three major um, types of shutters that we have. Um, so curtain shutters are almost always focal plane, which means that they sit just in front of the sensor, just in front of the film, at the plane of focus. Um, just actually in front of the plane of focus. But, you know, that's the idea. Then we have leaf shutters. And leaf shutters can be placed... In several different locations, but they're most common, w- what we would call central shutters, which means that as a lens focuses light, it takes the light in and it bends it in such a way it it um, has a point where those rays cross and go from right side up to upside down. Um, so it's like the
1: the waist of the hourglass. Right, shape.
0: Exactly. Right. And leaf shutters are best when they are at that point of convergence or they are very close to that point of convergence. Um, and we'll talk about apertures. Um, that's the, the best place for apertures as well, though they can be in other locations.
1: So the reason for that is that the leaf shutter is basically uh, a bunch of uh, little leaves that open and close kind of like a flower opening and closing in a, you know, in a sense. And because it starts closed and then gets wider and wider, and then it has to turn around and get smaller and smaller, it doesn't cover its whole area at evenly because it's going to spend more time open in the middle than at the edges. It would tend to illuminate the film unevenly. But if you put the shutter right where the light rays are at their most tiny, then the shutter will effectively open and shut closer to instantaneously. Yeah, and that, and that mitigates that's a big that advantage issue, right? right, so you have less tendency to have vignetting yeah. or dark around the edges.
0: So, yeah, and that's one of the, the detractions of the leaf shutter, but um, it, it also has some advantages that we'll talk about in a minute, but another similar situation is a rotating shutter. Now, if you think of a rotating shutter, uh, think of a disc, okay? And they are used most commonly, um, in, um, in, uh, movie cameras, um, where you need an opening that continually opens. So if you think of a, of a disc with a slit in it, it would, it would spin past the point of, of the opening. And it would, you know, expose the paper, and then it would spin again. And and for most of the disc, it's closed. Um, so that is, that's what we call a rotating shutter. But those can also be used in in um, still cameras, and we'll talk about those uh, as well. The the most common and probably the very there with very few exceptions, the type of shutter that is. Uh, manufactured today is that curtain shutter, the the focal plane shutter that moves um, out of the way. And and here's the advantage. If you think about, we just talked about the, the problem with the leaf shutter. The same problem happens with the rotating shutter in that there is no shape that you can create on a rotating disc that will give an even amount of exposure onto a rectangle that rectangle image. So there's always going to be part of right. it.
1: Right, you need a pie-shaped photograph to get an even.
0: Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> you know, or, yeah, exactly. The thing that is great about the focal plane curtain shutter is it is rectangular, and it makes a rectangular opening onto a rectangle. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, those three things, you know, really work together well. And the most common, there, there are several different methods of, the, um, curtain focal plane shutter. Um, but the, uh, the most common one is, there are two of them. There are essentially two shutters and there is the first shutter that's in place. It's shutter A and, uh, it can move either vertically or horizontally. Uh, so that this concept works either direction.
1: And, and it can work either with rectangular metal blades or with a Kind of like a, a window blind, like right. this old right. window blinds. So it's literally a curtain, an actual fabric curtain with a slot or a square cut out of it that will move across the film.
0: And uh almost all of the Leica film cameras up to, but not including the M7, if I'm correct. And if not, just flood my inbox with hate mail. Um <laughs> But, <laughs> you, you know, those Leica folks, right? Um I don't uh, think they're listening anymore. Anyway. Yeah, they're probably not. I'm probably well. I don't know. I am a like a guy, but um, okay. So they what they use is they use a rubberized fabric, and that rubberized fabric. I mean, there are rubberized curtains from the 1930s that are still going strong and working. And you know, of course, they've needed lubrication and all that, but the curtain itself is is perfectly perfectly fine. But but here's here's the basic concept. So you have yeah you your first shutter shutter A. And that holds uh, light tightness of the box. Okay. So there's light coming into it, um, you know, through the lens, but it's going to uh, hold that light tightness. And then if it's an SLR, the mirror will come up and out of the way. Or if it's a mirrorless digital camera or a a range finder, it will, it doesn't, no mirror needs to... To move out of the way. But the sh- the exposure begins and that shutter either moves up or down. Most of them currently are moving vertically up. Um, but it will move up and out of the way. Okay. And if it's a leaf, um, a curtain leaf shutter, meaning that there are several different leaves and they'll just kind of collapse in on themselves uh, and they'll move up and out of the way the exposure duration will happen. And then that second shutter um, will come up and um, end the exposure. And And what that does is that gives you an even exposure across every bit of the film. So and the
1: second, there's one other thing I want to point out is that that second shutter is also there because you need to seal off the lens from the film so that the shutter can reset itself without adding any more light in so the first shutter goes up lets some light in and then the second one comes and blocks some things off while while you reset the first and then that then the second one follows and is also reset so there's there's a teamwork going on but there's a second advantage which is that when you get into high shutter speeds the shutter can be timed so that one uh, the second shutter actually catches up with the first one And further reduces the amount of light that gets through. So so let's say your roller blind can only go up to 250th of a second. Um, mechanically, that's say that's as fast as it can go. But if you, if you set it up so that when you set the shutter speed to 500th of a second, the second shutter starts early and zooms in right behind the first one, creating a thinner slot that effectively reduces the time that light is on the film.
0: And and that distance, uh the distance between the first shutter and the second shutter coming up can be just a slit.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um you know, I have a mechanical you know, it's not even an electronic shutter, a mechanical shutter on my Leica or my Leica. Yeah, my Leica copy, my Besa R3M and it has a titanium double, you know, uh titanium blade but um you know, for both of those curtains. But it will get up to 1 4,000th of a second, which is a nice. very fast shutter speed. And it's, um, I mean, that, that, uh, there are a few that you'll see on the later um, plastic autofocus SLRs that go up to 1 8,000th of a second, but we're just talking one stop difference.
1: One thing about those, um, that way of getting high shutter speeds, so it's one of the reasons that, Leaf shutters generally, even on small cameras, their top speed is usually a 500th of a second. They just can't physically open and shut fast enough, faster than that. The mechanics are too difficult. But with the, the curtains, you can get these extra high speeds. But it also explains why very often uh that's where those curtain-style shutters get out of adjustment because above 250th of a second or 250th and above, the timing of shutter number one and shutter number two is really important. And what happens is sometimes the timing between the two gets off and you can have a situation where shutter number two actually closes, catches up and passes shutter number one. And then you'll see only the bottom half of your, uh, or the left-hand side of your image will be exposed and then it'll go black as the shutters eclipse each other. So, this is a really common with older SLRs. Is the shutter may work absolutely perfectly until you get to a two hundred fiftieth of a second, and then all of a sudden, it appears to be going way too fast, and you might get these uneven exposures.
0: One of my favorite cameras uh, that I own is a Canon FTB, and those are wonderful. They're they're like butter. Um, every one that I've uh, uh, touched, and I've and I've, I've shot with about five of them. Um, but I have two of them right now that have that problem, um, where I'm getting half of an image.
1: Yeah. And you'll, and you'll get it with both the old mechanical ones and the modern electronic, uh, focal plane shutters. They all have this issue. Yeah. Cause that timing's so critical. Um, but the good news is that there's a lot of cameras around where if you don't need high shutter speeds, you can get them really cheap and they're good to go. And <laughs> just don't use those high speeds. <laughs>
0: Um, I, uh, one of the, the other issues that you can come up with, um, and, uh, an issue that happened in the early days of photography that completely changed how we see speed, um, is the fact that, um, those two curtains work great on a 36, 35 millimeter travel distance. Um, and, and, you know, you can, you can get very fast speeds going across there on that 35 millimeter, um, distance. But if you scale up that same concept to a four by five, you can have that slit move, you know, have the, the second curtain chasing the first curtain fairly quickly, but if they are moving at say a slower rate of speed that you would, you know, would happen say in the 1930s, you know, they weren't moving quite as fast, but also couple that with the fact that it's moving over four inches on a four by five camera. Um, then you get a, um, object being in different places as that slit moves up. The, the camera, um. And actually and
1: the, the, the crucial variable is how fast the object you're photographing is moving. So if right. the thing you're photographing is moving faster than this slit is crossing the film, then essentially that object will show up in more than one place as time passes, even, even a split second. So, and that, and that distorts shapes of things.
0: Yeah. And, and that's how we got those. Uh, pictures of the race car where they have the oval wheel and they are leaning forward. And mm-hmm. um, and essentially what's happening is that they're moving and say say the, the car is moving from the left to the right across the image. That wheel starts, say, say that it starts dead center in the image, by the time that shutter has moved up, up that wheel, then you know what? That's the other way around. Because that image would be flipped. So it's coming down. Okay. Right. So right, it's right. down. But, um, so th- we'll, we'll just do that again. That wheel starts right in the center of the image. That, um, first shutter goes down. And as they're traveling, ac- as the slit, slit is traveling light. across the film, that camera yeah. has moved, or that camera, the car has moved forward and it gets that oval. And so, There is, uh, a distortion that, that, uh, can, um, can happen because of that. Um,
1: and actually moving the camera would have the same effect. Um, it's just a relativity thing. if if you, and and that's a trick that people play, um, with slit type shutters. Sometimes you you can combine the moving camera with a moving slit to get, you know, even more exaggerated effect.
0: Right. Um, in fact, um. I don't know if you listen to the Lensless uh, podcast. It's all about pinhole, but they yeah, just to some yeah yeah they just interviewed uh, James. Uh, I forget what his last name is for some reason. It just dropped on. Yeah, there we go. Well, he's Irish, but he lives in France, so it's probably Guerin. Um, but he it's spelled
1: like a French name. This is all very uh, right.
0: Yes. Hands. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you listen to uh, a couple episodes ago on the Lensless podcast. Um, they interviewed him and he was talking about it. Uh, and and essentially the, here's the concept is if you have this slit that moves forward at the same rate of speed as the object, you get some very surrealistic looking images. And I'll, uh, I'll let you look that up. I'll, I'll provide some images in the, um, in the show notes, but, um, this is, um, slit photography and that's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a subset of everything that we do and you can do that digitally or you can do it with, uh, with film and it will work, uh, work very similar.
1: Yeah. It gave reading about that gave me the idea that it would be interesting to, to, to build a, a slow moving slit shutter so that you could, you could really play with time that way you know, in this sense, um. For instance, maybe for maybe for a pinhole camera, you make one that went really slow. You know, it could be powered by, I don't know, the hand on an old clock or something <laughs> it would take an hour to get past or Yeah.
0: Or maybe. Yeah. okay, oh, you know, old so
1: electric. The- now, there's an idea. Old electric clocks, the kind that you plugged in and had a lot of uh-huh. power. That might be a, a possible drive motor for some of these slow moving shutter designs.
0: Yeah. And well, yeah, you could essentially if you timed it, you could have like a 360 degree, one minute exposure. You know, if you took the camera and put it on, you know, that second, uh, that second hand going around now they make for, uh, the filmmakers who use DSLRs, they make, um, little stepping motored, um, uh, mounts that fit between the camera and the tripod that will give you, you know, like say you're doing a time time exposure uh time lapse exposure um it will pan the camera during that oh sure
1: like to keep to keep up with stars movements in the sky and that kind of thing
0: well yeah you could do that or it's just kind of an effect um and it's the idea that you know it kind of gives the idea that there's a camera operator who's really slow but really accurate right <laughs> you know
1: God. well so this could with the the other hands on the camera you could you could go up to 1 hour or 12 hours or you know so it's uh it's an interesting idea or even mechanical clocks i mean just something that has enough power to move an object
0: yeah uh, i mean that'd be interesting uh, now i um yeah, you know this nick but um i make my life, my living uh teaching graphic design and web design and uh back in my early design days back when I was in school I designed uh, the school literary magazine and, and uh what we did for graphics was uh we worked with old xerox machines and this think about think about this for your scanner cam nick um but we had um what we would do it it needs a xerox machine that that has the bar that goes across because um, some Xerox machines have, they'll just do a flash of light. Um, but if it has the bar that goes across, if you move things as the bar is going across, you can elongate words or you can cramp them. You can elongate photographs. You can do all sorts of fun stuff with that. And we did a magazine that, that you know, it was the literary magazine. And so all the headlines were done in, in that kind of way. And that's very similar to this. It's using... Slightly different medium, but um, you know, uh, essentially the same. So, so what are the? So we talked about w- the distortions that we get with leaf shutters, in the idea that if a leaf shutter starts at fully closed, fully clothed, yes, fully closed, it is going to have a travel time to open. So that means that the center of that image is going to be exposed to light longer than the edges. And then it's going to have a... Once it, it'll stay open for a period of time, the stated exposure, and then it will travel back down to its closed position. And so once again, we get less light at the edges and more light at the center, and that's the vignetting effect. Um, and that's one distortion that we have with... Um, uh, with leaf shutters. Is there anything else that you can think of that are issues with leaf shutters?
1: Well, I can think of something that's a positive, um, about them because so there, there are various technical reasons that it's difficult to synchronize flash with a focal plane shutter, but none of those technical problems apply to leaf shutters. So Leaf shutters across the board can synchronize with a flash at any speed. And that's a really big deal if you use flash because then you're able to stop motion with the camera and, uh, still get the flash, you know, to come at the right time. So, so that's a, a positive that's different. It's, um, an advantage of them. And they do still make them a lot for bigger size. Uh, lenses, so for medium format lenses and for large format lenses, you almost always find leaf shutters uh and so they still make them for those purposes uh, and then there are some occasionally you'll find some cameras that can have both, so there are cameras with a built in shutter, and there are lenses available for them that have a shutter in the lens, and that's very useful because then you get to choose. You you can do one or the other. Um the classic example of the old were the old speed graphics, which had a one one thousandth of a second uh focal plane shutter that allowed high speed photography, but they would typically also have a leaf shutter lens mounted on the camera. So if you needed to sync with flash you could just do that without having to, you know, pick up on a different camera. Really useful and it's something that with our homemade cameras we have more of an opportunity to to try, but we need to right. come up with a, with a focal plane shutter design that we can build at home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um, so um, now I talked about the, the um, leaf shutter being a centralized, um, uh, usually put in a central position. So there are often lens elements that are in front of the shutter and lens elements that are in back of the shutter. Um, Leaf shutter. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Of the leaf shutter. But you can also put those lens that shutter in behind the, um, uh, in behind the lens. Um, and what that allows you to do is, um, first of all, it moves the shutter out of the lens, making the lens cheaper. Um, and the other thing it does is it allows you to quickly and easily change the lens while leaving the shutter in place so Mm -hmm. that you don't have to, to worry about, you know, well, this, this lens has a shutter that the times right on. And this lens has a shutter where we have a lagging, lagging time. I'm sure they didn't think about that in, in, uh, at the time when they were doing their main production, but that is certainly an effect. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, there are disadvantages, with that lens being in the back, um, the lens being in the back means that once again, it's got a wider area, it's got a wider circle um, of image, image circle that it's got to cover in the amount of time. So you would have increased vignetting mm-hmm. in um, in in that time. So um, that is now,
1: now here. There's here here's something that throws a wrinkle into that when you use a smaller aperture that decreases the disadvantage of a leaf shutter because it's going to eclipse the light coming through that smaller aperture more quickly. Oh, yes. With a large aperture. So so this is a way that the two overlap. Um, And so if you have a camera where there's a lot of vignetting at wide open, sometimes just stopping down will... Uh, allow that shutter to close off the light more quickly and precisely.
0: Right, right. Now, one of the things um, I, I talked about that shutter uh, having glass elements in front and in back, often those shutters were essentially considered off the shelf parts. Um, you would use a standard, you know, if you were a camera manufacturer, you wouldn't necessarily design your own shutter, and a lot of companies did not design their own shutters uh they would go get a Copal or a compor or, or a prontour a, or yeah or a seiko or the ilex or the um i'm trying to think what the american uh the wolensack wolensack had a had a name for theirs but um those uh, uh
1: a lot of the uh, shutters on gra- were graflex so g right. r a f e x
0: and yeah, and so there would be a small number of shutter manufacturers, but there would be a large number of people, uh, or a large number of manufacturers of lenses, and they would just use, you know, a universal threaded mount for each size of shutter. Um, and shutters, you know, come from very small, from, you know, essentially two inch diameter up to, what, five and six inch diameter. I think the smallest
1: um, or even littler I think the double ought is uh is less than two inches it's pretty yes tiny, yeah, it
0: yeah. is less than two inches it it and it's pretty pretty small it has a uh a one inch opening um for the lens board and it's just it's not that much bigger than that um but you know so one of the things that does the, that's the advantage of that is if you have a great lens and all of a sudden something goes wrong, your lens you know the shutter blades tangle. You can just screw that lens off, get a new shutter and screw that lens back on that new shutter and you're good to go. So that was one of the, one of the advantages of those. In the early days of photography, uh, when they first started using um, very, you know, good timed exposures, as opposed to, you see in the old, old timey, um, you know, movies or movies depicting old time actions. They would pull a lens cap off and they would have a bar of flash powder and they would do the flash and then they'd put the lens cap back on. Well, that's not really scientific. Um, There's a certain duration of that flash, sure, but that's still not very scientific. So they started making these leaf shutters and the first placement was at the front of the lens. Now... Uh, That, you know, it was like a retrofit for your lens. You know, you could just screw a shutter on the end of that. The problem is that that leaf shutter, that incredible mechanical clockwork uh, device um, with really small, intricate parts was out in the world and blowing dust and other gunk, um, you know, pretty quickly put an end um, to that uh, positioning but uh but that was you know certainly certainly an option if you if that's something that you you're doing now
1: so you just named a, a fourth way to control exposure that i had forgotten about but you can control exposure with flash by you know, modern flashes that you can turn up and down to make them brighter and dimmer uh gives you a that's a fourth way so you've got uh, you've got your aperture you've got your shutter speed nd filters and flash so there's another way
0: yeah you uh, know uh that reminds me i was uh when i was or lighting in, in general yeah yeah well w- when i was in college i was coming home from the darkroom one night and um i was passing a house that was being built and you know it was a construction site it was a house being built and uh i thought oh i know what to do i'm going to open up my camera or i'm going to put my camera on a tar- tripod I am going to put it on bulb and I'm going to walk around this house and fire my flash all around this house. And, uh, you know, so I spent, yeah, 20 minutes, um, you know, at two in the morning in, uh, you know, in a house that was being constructed and uh, the picture didn't turn out. So I never <laughs> go back and do it, but that's essentially exactly what, you know, an example of exactly what you're talking about
1: now I've just thought of another method, oh, which you're, is your demon mind de- there. <laughs> <laughs> development, development time. And back when people shot mostly sheet film, someone like Ansel Adams would control exposure also by making a note to develop the film for either a longer oh, or a shorter push or time. Push pole. Yeah. Yep. And so there's another way that a, a simple camera can be adjusted. And it isn't even necessarily just a simple camera. You may have a situation where You have to have a fast shutter speed and you have to have a small aperture in order to get that deep depth of field and the frozen motion. A lot of times in landscape, my biggest problem is wind, you know, so everything's all perfect. You want that stop way down and you want that beautiful, slow film and, (laughs) and you know, you've got it all figured out except the wind's blowing and the leaves are wiggling. And then, then you're, you're going to have to basically you're gonna have to bring in light. That's your only other option. Um, so so that now we're at five methods of controlling exposure <laughs> and so think about that if you made a really really simple camera you can control exposure by controlling your film choice your development options and you know, all these things you don't necessarily need a shutter if you're willing to uh, vary some other parameter
0: um one last thing before we move on um but the one of the things to note about um, leaf shutters is uh, because they are clockwork and they are mechanical parts that move uh, and they're often spring based, um, some of the spring leaves those springs, and um, so it's, it's good to to uh to know how fast that shutter often or that shutter's actually moving now it can say so you're, you're saying 1, is the 100. spring
1: gets flabby over it gets yeah, flabby right. with time exactly just just, yeah, right.
0: just like we humans um <laughs> so um so that uh you know one of the things you know so often they're running at half the speed that they're actually running so if you have a 1 100th um shutter speed essentially you're running at 150th often so you know um do, do you have an ability to test um, uh Yeah, shutters? so I
1: have the same thing you do. I have oh. the... Uh, that, Did you? Uh, Kickstarter yeah. um, recently produced a really nice little...
0: Well, not shutter Kickstarter, speed but... <laughs> measuring device.
1: Did I say Kickstarter?
0: Yeah. Well, well, yeah. It's it's Kickstarter, but it, uh, uh, Kickstarter didn't produce it. Kickstarter hosted it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I said
1: it was Kickstarter produced. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, the what's
0: the name of it? It's the Focron X A. Yeah, the Focron X A, yeah. and uh, it's it's just a guy who decided, you know, hey, I'm a vintage camera nut, and these are. Um, you know this is one of the things that most uh controls a value uh of a camera and um or the functionality of the camera and and you know the value in that way so he, he set it up and he you know went through a a bunch of uh different software uh reviews and in fact um he was about to do something, and I, f- I forget what dropped out, what, what, he, his supplier changed something, and I think it might have been the circuit board uh, that he was working on, but, um, or the display, that was what it was, the display changed, so anyway, uh, my whole, you know, I talk about a successful Kickstarter, and it was a very successful Kickstarter, I absolutely love mine, but the, uh, but it's very important to test those things, to know that uh, everything's working. Um, when you
1: what you're talking about is to test shutter speed
0: sh- shutter speed duration yes absolutely yeah.
1: and and in general you can uh you can ignore small differences if you're just shooting print film but if you want to be precise or if you're shooting something like slide film then it really helps to know what the actual shutter speeds are and i think i've mentioned before that i'll measure all the shutter speeds on an old uh camera and i'll decide which ones matter and then i'll just write those down i'll write i'll write on the on the left i'll on a little piece of white tape i'll write the speed that it's supposed to be 30 and then next to it i'll write the speed it really is 20 and then i'll only bother with the relevant shutter speeds so usually there's only four three four that are really far off and then i'll just stick that tape on the back of the camera and then when i'm using it i can always glance down and go oh yeah that's right uh, and it's interesting because some shutter designs will have really accurate speeds, you know, at one end or the other. Uh, usually the middle is the most accurate over time for whatever reason. Usually, usually speeds around, because I've tested probably 60 shutters now, and the, usually the one that's around, uh, uh, right around where you hand hold it is pretty accurate, but sometimes those ones are slow too, and that's also really useful to know because if, if you're, if think you can get away with handheld at a 50th of a second and it's actually a shooting at a 25th, you definitely want to go up to a faster speed. Sure. Or, sure. Or you'll have blurry pictures.
0: I have, um, uh, a Leica M5 that kind of limped into my house. Um, that, uh, it, it's light meter was broken because there was a, a tab missing on the, um, in the, the the connection in the actual uh battery bay was broken off. And so mm-hmm. I fixed that and um and it has uh it's accurate and consistent across the board until you get to one five hundredth, and one five hundredth is a thousand one thousand one, one thousandth, mm-hmm. and then one one thousand is one two thousandth. So and that's
1: because your second curtain is catching up with your first.
0: Absolutely. Curtain. Absolutely. Yep. But it it does it, it doesn't evenly. So, I mean, I'm not worried that um it it's I think it's just being triggered early as opposed to it's gaining speed. It's, Otherwise, there would be an an uneven exposure across the image.
1: But So it's not an it's not far enough off that you see that. Or right, resulting image.
0: Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. So so that's um uh, and that's something to know. And and so I know it. So when I take that camera out, I just shoot those things um, at different speeds. You know, I just know to, to meter it differently.
1: When you got that Folkron, did you get the, the less expensive one that just measures duration? Or did you get the fancier model that also can separately measure first and second curtain?
0: Trigger? Yeah, I, I just got the first. The, the yeah, me too.
1: Model. And now I'm starting to think maybe I'll eventually wish I had the fancier one just because as I get more and more into this, I realize there are some shutters that are actually pretty easy to adjust. Um, and, and that's a, so that's a second feature that you can get in this measurement that actually tells you about the behavior of both the first and the second curtain. And so you can tell if they're synchronizing right or not.
0: So, and, and that is, um, you know, all it is, is a second probe, Um, so, uh, if we had a second probe, um, you mean two
1: different light, light emitting? No, it's,
0: yeah, it's, I mean, that's the only thing that uh, the only difference was you got a second probe, so you can just order a probe from him, I'm sure. Oh, great. So, um, and we'll put, uh, the link to that in the show notes and I'm not sure if he's at the stage where he sells those, um, himself or, you know, sells them after, fulfilling the um the uh kickstarter on that but so so what about uh rotating shutters what do you know about those
1: you know i don't know much about them i know they use them in film uh, movie cameras uh, I, i've been thinking about them because they seem like logically easier to engineer at home with crude yes. techniques so i've been trying to and figure with things out things like to...
0: rubber bands you know
1: right right and and i could actually see that uh a disc with holes in it is also a really simple way to design uh, an adjustable aperture that you don't need any fancy leaf stuff for. Right. So a lot of, a lot of shutters depend on very precise tiny little parts that are hard to make at home. Uh, but if you have just rotating discs, you could have one disc with different size apertures that you just would turn to the right position. And another one that would whip by, uh, you know, different speeds or with different size slots, or some way to adjust the amount of sure. light. And I think that uh, for for fast shutter speeds, I don't think that the the fact that the shape of the light is to- a little different than the shape of the film is necessarily that big of a deal. Um, yeah. Well, I,
0: I mean, it, it can't be a huge deal. Um, Olympus. Uh, there are other companies uh, that use them, but Olympus used the rotary shutters in those pen half frame cameras, including the pen F and the pen F T, um, film cameras, film SLRs. I had one of those way back. Uh, my first cameras that I bought when I started getting back into film number one, an RB 67, number two, a pen F, um, SLR. So I went with a big negative and a little tiny negative. Olympus used those and, um, and I didn't notice any, Anything on there. And I, you know, and I used a, um, a pen EE, which is a little point and shoot, um, for a very long time. I had that for two years. Uh, that was my car camera for a while. And, um, that I don't remember seeing any distortions or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I do know, I mean, I, logically, I think through it and I'm thinking some of that film is getting exposed for a different amount of time from the other film and if you had motion in there you would have the same issue with the curtain shutter um, in that you're you're gonna have some objects in in more than one location depending on the speed of that that um, uh, that disc rotating now the pens uh, Olympus used uh, I think it w- it was not a full disc it wasn't a full circular, 360 degree disc. Um, And I'm not sure. I did a little bit of research into this when I, when I came across it and I was, and I was really surprised at them. Um, But I think it was a 270 degree rotation. Um, And Hmm. then there are some that have just a half, you know, a 180 degree disc. And what that allows them to do is make the camera itself a little bit more compact Um, the, if you have a large spinning disc, it, they tend to be, you know, twice the size of the height of the film at very, at minimum, right? Right. Uh, at the longest dimension of the film. So if you have a full frame, it's going to be the 36 millimeter as opposed to the, to the 24 millimeter. Um, so, uh, so those, you know, there are some issues, um, with that, but, uh, but I never saw them, so.
1: Yeah, and I think that another thing is we've, now that we've come up with five different ways to control exposure, uh, it's not necessarily always that important to have a shutter with a huge range. Like, I'd be happy to make a homemade one that, that gives me a few different speeds, you know, bulb, uh, kind of hand holding speed, and then as fast as the thing can go for stopping motion. And then that, that would be a start. And then you could use all these other methods of controlling the light for, for your exposure. And then I wanted to throw out one more thing that if you come up with a simple shutter design that, um, you know, whips some kind of an opening across the film opening there, the second thing you need is a way to cock it without exposing the film. But with a lot of my homemade cameras, I'm using roll film backs, which have a, uh, dark slide, a dark slide and you can just, fire the, you know, fire the shutter and then push the dark slide in and then reset the shutter. So you don't, you know, it could be, it could be very, very
0: simple. And, and I have some brand new experience with that. I'll talk about that at the end when we talk about what we're building, but I built a, um, uh, a pinhole camera that just takes the graph lock back. And, uh, you know, the smaller graph lock, not the four by five graph lock. Um, but yeah, but that, yeah, I'll talk about that with the dark slide, which I think is the only way to work with pinhole now. Uh, I, I've come to that conclusion, but um, still with, okay. So let's talk about that. Let's not leave the spinning disc quite yet because this is something I'm, I'm a multiple exposure junkie. Um I, one of the things that I like building into cameras is, is the ability Or or cameras I buy, like I just bought a Ricoh 500GX, a little range finder pointing, you know, a little compact range finder that has a multiple exposure, um, button. So you just have to slide this over and then, and do, and advance, um, and cock, cock the, the shutter. And then you can take another one and it doesn't move the film at all, which is really great. Um, so this spinning disc, okay, so this is my idea. If you can figure out how to spin it 10 times, or you put 10 apertures in one disc, in one 360 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. disc, okay? So if you can spin that at a certain rate, and again, maybe a clock mechanism might, uh, that might be a little bit slow. But if you can spin that...
1: That's fine if you have slow enough film. You just have to... You have to yeah, match your right. ISO to your your shutter, right.
0: or or neutral density, or or that right. type of thing. You know, right. uh, but you could do ten exposures if you can. You know, if you say my exposure is um is what is one tenth of a second, you can expose 10 one-hundredth of a second exposures in that same amount of time and get that same. Effect. Am I right with that? So, yeah, so what right, you're yeah, what yeah. you're
1: talking about would basically mean that the background, the, the the stationary part of the image, would get a full ten flash exposure, but the moving object would get would appear ten different times at a tenth the exposure. So Absolutely. you'd have to think about like how reflective your your superhero is that's oh, moving yeah, yeah, through yeah. the picture, right? Yeah,
0: <laughs> but well, and that's one of the things with ghosting. Uh, of images where you you know you have something in the in the place for only a certain period of time you have to think about what's behind there because that can effectively camouflage any image but you you know it would be or you could just to, use to choose with. a
1: bright subject like a car with its lights on or whatever you know something that would that would that would be 10 times as bright as the background so it'd be great for night photography you know where you have dark backgrounds and, and lit lit elements there's another way to do this that I've seen, which is you can also move the film instead of moving, moving, <laughs> moving a slit across it. And there are people who've put cranks on, on the, the film. One way to, the simple way to do it is to just use the rewind. So you put the film in the camera, you, you put a, a lens cap on it, you advance it all the way to the end, right? Right and then you push the button for rewind and then while you're making your exposure you rewind the film so that the film is flowing past the, the opening so that and that's that's something out of that book um that I mentioned earlier that's a, a new book on experimental techniques there's a guy who, that's how he works and so that you know there's there's a whole different bunch of ways to get to the same same thing
0: okay so uh if you were to make your own shutter What strategy would you use if you were just, okay, just pick one, uh, that you think would be relatively accessible, relatively easy to do using the tools that general folks would have.
1: So the one that I want to start with is really, really simple. And it's appropriate for kind of these bigger, uh, tripod mounted cameras, And this is actually an idea that goes back to the 19th century. It's a guillotine shutter. So you picture that you have a, like the blade of a guillotine that drops past the light stream coming through the lens. And if you just picture a long uh, black object, say maybe a sheet of metal with a slot cut in it, then it's just basically, it's a gravity powered curtain shutter that's, that's just using gravity to whip by the, uh, the lens. And then by changing the width, of the slit, you can change the shutter speed. So it's a pretty simple design. It, it has hardly any moving parts. Um, you would need to, uh, use the dark slide to reset it, but you'd reset it just by raising it up and putting, and then the other thing I'm, I'm thinking about, maybe there's something I can do with a mousetrap. You know, that kind of like, you know, some kind of spring loaded.
0: The the uh, guillotine system, you know, the only problem that I see with that is that you have to rely on gravity and gravity is, oh, exactly the same anywhere on the planet pretty much uh for for our purpose yeah it works so it's perfect it's perfect (laughs) (laughs) now if you're in a moving object like you're you know on the vomit comet you know you might might this is not a camera to take on rides at the fair (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) or or you might get some interesting effects how dare you right (laughs) right that's right just roll the plane again
1: (laughs) i want to reset my shutter
0: Right, okay, so one of our listeners and and we talked about him before, um we called him Joe Jonas because we're Americans, and that's how we pronounce the J, but you know, everywhere else in the world pronounces the J softly. So I figured it it's yo- Jonas, and I think that that might be a play on a yo-yo. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, maybe,
1: uh, or though maybe it's a greeting to the man who
0: spent oh, time in a way. Oh, yo, yeah. yo, Jonas. Okay, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he is very active in our, um, he's he's very active. He's got a different um, name on Flickr, uh, or excuse me, on, um, uh, on Instagram, but he's very, very active in our um, forums and very active on Flickr. So you can certainly find him there. Um, he sent me this morning a schematic for a shutter. And this is, um, now I didn't quite follow it because it's, you know, it's kind of scrawled on a napkin kind of thing. Right. It
1: somehow uses magnets. But yeah,
0: he's, yeah, he's using magnets and he's using the magnets from, uh, headphones. So, um, you know, you would have to have a very, very light shutter. Um, you know, in, in order for that magnet to work at that level, but if you, you know, if you're uh, handy at all and you can work up an electromagnet, um, that yeah. that could be that could be very effective and it,
1: and it, interesting as a possibility for a release. So let's say you have a shutter right. that's under tension from either a spring or a rubber band or gravity, you could yeah. have the you could have the magnet holding, you know activate the magnet to release the uh be very smooth, no wiggling. Be a good right. remote system. Yeah, right.
0: This episode ran a little bit longer than we had expected, so we are going to end the episode here and provide you with the other half of the episode in two weeks. So this is the end of episode 4A, and we will be back in two weeks with episode 4B, uh, where we'll be talking about uh, apertures a little bit more I just want to remind everybody we have our contact information. I am Graham at homemadecamera.com. Nick is Nick at homemadecamera.com. On Flickr, you can find Nick at Nick Lyle. Uh, And my Flickr handle is Freezer of Photons, all one word. You can also find me on Instagram. Uh, I am at home, or excuse me, at Graham Homemade Camera. Um, we are part of the film podcast network for uh, a listing of film and experimental photography podcast. Visit the film podcast network. If you have a podcast yourself, there's a form for you to fill out uh, uh, information about your podcast and submit the listing. We want to thank Robbie Cribs of Soundtrap Studios for kindly composing our theme And allowing us to use the music for the show.